I'm going to move down here this morning because it feels like the holy of holies up there. And so I want to be with the people. I want to be with the peasants. So I want to move down here on the floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I'm going to start off this morning with just a question, but I want to um, introduce it first. So before we begin today, I need to say this up front. Um, when, when I was sitting where you, you're sitting, when, when I sat where you're sitting now at your stage of life, when I heard this kind of a talk, um, it's the one that I would roll my eyes at. It's the one that I'd get skeptical right away and roll my, roll my eyes at. Okay, we're talking about this seems kind of trivial um, of a topic. But, and some of you guys still might do that today, but um, I'm just asking you to give us a hearing today as we talk about uh, today's topic. And so just to help us break the ice, though, I'm going to ask you a question. This will involve some confession on your part at your tables. Uh, nothing too crazy, though. Don't worry. Um, but here's a real simple question. What are your top three time wasters that you have in your life? Go ahead and discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. Right, so I want to involve you guys in this a little bit. So just some of you guys shout out some responses that you heard at your table a lot. What are some of the uh, – just give me a few responses here. Not Like raise your hand so we can kind of get everyone shouting at the same time. Are you holding the phone up as an example? Yes. Amen to that. Yes, Casey. Sleeping. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Other ones. I didn't hear that one. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have heard that one. I didn't hear it. I'll let it slide. Anybody else? Yeah, someone already said cell phone. That's a pretty obvious one. All right, so what happens on the cell phone mostly? Social media. Yeah, was there a hand over here? Netflix. Oh. All right, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty, so we need to just cut it off right there, I think. Um, any, any other ideas? This is all technology-driven, so yes. What's that? Okay, all right. I couldn't really hear that, but I'll just take his word for it. All right, so other ideas. Other ideas, all right. So I think we can all agree. In fact, I don't know if this is the case or not, but um, yeah, this is obviously a big um, time waster for a lot of us. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I thought it was very fitting. I just thought about this this week. This is a new, fresh thought for me. But um, you ever thought about, we know that it's kind of a myth that the, um, the fruit in the Garden of Eden was an apple. That's like what everyone likes to think. We, we, th- we say it was something else. But, I mean, there's an apple on the back of this, which stands for, like, temptation, right? I mean, seriously, right there. Yeah, is your mind not blown like, did you make that connection? I think Steve Jobs had that as his whole plan, right? That's kind of what, maybe, I don't know. But to me, it's not a subtle connection to make there. So, um, but yeah, so this is a, a huge source of temptation in all kinds of ways. Um, one of my biggest time wasters, and my wife can uh, agree with this, is that, uh, is, is, I don't know what it is about guys and our mindset, but like reading about sports, not just watching sports, not just 
like, I want to watch the game, it's on tonight, but reading about it and analyzing it and, like, really getting into the, all that stuff, that's something that most wives do not understand, nor should they have to understand it, because it really makes no sense, okay? Um, but one of the biggest time wasters that I think I struggle with. So, um, so today we're talking about time. And we're not just going to talk about time, we're going to talk about other ways that other things connect to time. And there are many ways in which a lot of us waste time, many of which we're unaware. And so here's a verse I want to be at the center of our discussion today. And it's Psalm chapter 63, verse 3. And here's what it says. It says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So this seems like a pretty standard verse, right? I mean, you could put this verse on a t-shirt. It would go great on a coffee mug. Um, it looks like a very tame, just simple standard Bible verse, but when you look at it more closely, I think it's, it's hugely convicting, and here's why. Just looking at the words love and life, because your love is better than life. Now, do we truly see God's love as better than life for us? Because in, in 21st century, typical suburban American middle-class lifestyle, just think about that. I think of the way that we live oftentimes, um, it can seem like that we don't see God's love as better than life, considering many of us, we have it pretty good. Now, I'm not saying that there's, there is poverty, there is struggle, there are trials, there are tribulations. Anywhere you go in the world, that's the case. I'm not saying that, 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 that exists here for sure, and it, it, it also exists here financially and economically, no question about it. But for the most part, for many of you in this room, things, life is pretty good when it comes to just your provision for a lot of you, a lot of us. And so how hard is it for us to see God's love as better than life, considering where you and I live? Now, when you look at the verse through those lenses, it's a pretty convicting verse, I think. And so today I want to talk about some things that keep us from living out this verse, some, some things that keep us from seeing God's love as better than life. And we're going to touch on these things in a minute. So we're going to discuss money, possessions, and time, because when you think about it, time is wrapped up in both of these. Time is wrapped up in money and possessions. You've heard the phrase that time is money. And it's true, because when you guys... When you spend your time at work or your parents spend their time at work and they're earning money, they're using time to earn money, then they go and spend that money. So we can say that, that wasted money is essentially wasted time, right? Wasted money is wasted time. Uh, in the first talk, we discussed how when most of us think about wasting our lives, we think of the, the obvious person, the partier who just wants to part of their life away and they waste their life that way. But the other way to waste your life is someone who's the hard worker, but they devote their life to money and things. And this is another way in which we waste our lives. And uh, Jesus, for this kind of person, Jesus becomes like this religious side interest for them. He's not central. He's this side thing for them. Uh, he's a ticket to heaven, but it's not going to make much difference in the here and now for that person's life. This is what I would refer to as ornamental Christianity. When you think of a Christmas tree, um, you may put 
100 ornaments on the tree, and they're all just hanging off to the side of the tree, or 50, or whatever it is. But you think about your life. Um, here's how many of us approach our walk with Christ. Our life is about 50 different things all hanging on to our life in various ways. And just one of them is Jesus. And so it's just an ornament. It's off to the side. It's there. It's present, but it's not central to that person's being. And so you have what I've heard some pastors call an inoculation. So um, when, you get immune, when you get immunized with something, they actually give you a little bit of the disease to get you inoculated to it so that you will not get it um, in a more severe way later on. And I think that happens with our faith because some of you, Jesus is an ornament, and so you have him. He's there. He's present, but he's not central. And so in a sense, you've been inoculated or immunized from Jesus because you've got as much as you need, much as you want, but he's not really central. And doesn't really um, echo out into the rest of aspects of your life. So Jesus talked a lot about money. Do you know that 15% of all that Jesus said in the Bible involved money? 15%. He talked about money more than he discussed heaven or hell. I didn't realize that. He talked about money a lot. So we're going to look at some passages very quickly and when, when, when Christ talks about money. Look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. We'll put this on the screen for you. Mark 10, 21, where Jesus says, this is the rich man he's talking to. Jesus looked at him, the rich man, and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So that's a fairly famous uh, reference that, that we hear about. Jesus is talking to this rich man. The next one I want you to see is Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and also verse 24, where it says, Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And the next one I want you to look at is Luke chapter 18, verse 25. He says, Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So before I give too much of this away, I want you to discuss at your tables this next question in relation to Luke 18, 25. So what do you think Jesus is saying in, in verse 25, Luke chapter 18? And is he really saying that rich people can't go to heaven? Now I want you to, if you've got like study notes or I want you to like kind of share at your tables what you think based on that passage, what do you think he's saying? If you have notes, read them, talk about it and try to get to the bottom of what Jesus is saying in verse 25 there in Luke chapter 18. All right, so this is one of those passages that is called one of the hard sayings of Jesus, and for good reason, because it sounds like it's a really harsh statement. Um, but I want to look at actually the next two verses, because it clues us in as to what uh, is being asked and what's being said in verse 25. So look at Luke 18, verses 26 to 27, where he says, uh, it says, Those who heard this asked, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So I know we read that and you're like, well, that doesn't answer the question. Like, that's not really helpful. Um, that just confuses things even more. But you've got to understand the, um, the context of what 
people back then, especially Jewish people, what they thought about wealth. So in that day, um, if somebody was wealthy, they saw this as God's blessing. So that meant if you're wealthy, that means that God's blessed you, his hands upon your life. That means that you're saved if you're wealthy, right? And poverty was seen as a curse. So if someone was, is impoverished, it was seen as God is frowning upon them. So they're not someone that can really um, be with God because um, in their life it is shown that God is not favoring them because of their wealth and the lack of wealth. And uh, so this was the mindset, was that rich people have God's favor, they're saved, and poor people don't have God's favor, and, and so they're not with God in the same way that someone who's wealthy. So this is the mindset that they had back then. So wealth back then would have been like, oh, God has smiled upon this person. He's, he's with God, like he is, he is with Yahweh. He or she is with Yahweh. And so this is how they would think. Um, so for Jesus to say the statement, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Based on what I just said to you, you can see how that statement would have blown their minds. Because we all know that no camel is going through any eye of some needle. That, that's impossible. So Jesus is using hyperbole, an overstatement, to make a point. We know that you cannot put a camel through the eye of a needle they know it's impossible. He knows it's impossible. So Jesus is saying that, that based on the picture, that it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. All right? And their, their minds are blown. They're like, wait, what? Well, then, if, if, if those people, the ones who see that God's blessing, if they're not saved, well, then who can be saved? If they're not saved, then who can be saved? That's their question. And you see what Christ is doing here because he's trying to make the point that no one, so the rich man, he can't be saved by his riches, nor are his riches an indication of his salvation. You get it? And so Christ is saying no one can enter the kingdom of God based on his riches. You understand this? And so their question is, well, who can be saved then? And he says what's impossible with God or with man is possible with God, meaning that every single person on the face of the earth who has been saved, it has happened because of a miracle in their heart, not because of some wealth status. And that's not how God works. So what Jesus is saying here would, would have blown their circuits. No one can be saved apart from a miracle. So the disciples saw wealth as a sign of someone's salvation. And Jesus says, for many, it's a hindrance to salvation. You get it. So um, a, a powerful statement to these people. And listen, I know, um, so Jesus shows how with God, the impossible becomes possible. Because it's about the miracle that takes place in someone's heart and, and God drawing someone close to him. This is not about wealth status and poverty and God's blessing or lack of blessing. This is about God doing a miracle in someone's heart and drawing them to, them to himself and saving them. Not because they deserve it, but because he's just good and gracious. So you can see how it would blow their minds to hear that. Um, and I know it's hard for us to hear verses about money. It's hard for me to read a verse and it's about money because um, some people 
They like money because money gets them things. And I can be materialistic in some areas, but, but my struggle with money is security. I like feeling secure. So for a lot of, a lot of men, especially, they feel this, this, I need to provide for the family. I want to provide for my family and, and feel secure financially. So we just want to you know, hoard all the wealth we can get so we can have security. And you know what's interesting? If you look back at the Old Testament, do you know how you define idolatry in the Old Testament? Trying to secure your future is the definition of idolatry in the Old Testament. Because what happens is the people of Israel, they think God doesn't have what's best for them. And so what do they do? They go into idolatry because they're looking to secure their future for them as a people. And so, man, it's convicting when you think about that's exactly what I'm doing whenever I try to hoard things and keep and keep and keep and, and, and be stingy because I'm trying to secure my future just like Israel was trying to do. And it's idolatry. It's idolatry. So America is in the top percentage of world wealth. And I know, again, I'll say it again, but there's poverty all over our nation, no question about it, all over our city. We see it. But for the most part, America's in a top percentage bracket for world wealth. And we can afford lots of little luxuries. So here's some things that I think about sometimes. Um, just take something very simple, like the bathroom hand dryer, all right? Um, we can afford as a nation to improve little luxuries like this. Now, go back to the first slide. I didn't tell you to switch slides on me. Did I tell you to do that? No, I didn't say do that. All right. So, um, so this is like the old school, like when I was a kid type hair dryer. How many of you guys, like, you look at that and you just ignore it. You, like, don't even use it. It's just so slow. This old school, this is like the kind that you have in, in old school restaurants. And you push the button and it takes 10 minutes, right? Or you got to push it eight times to get your hands dry. You, you understand what I'm saying? Um, there's a line behind you. Everyone's like, will you hurry up? Right? And, uh, and so someone had the idea. I mean, it, it just, it, it, what it feels like, it feels like someone breathing slightly on your hands as you're and it's kind of gross feeling anyway, right? So, um, so that's the old school hand dryer in, in a lot of restaurants. And someone had, they're like, you know what? We can, we can afford to improve this. This is a simple thing. We can improve this. So then they invented the accelerator, right? I love this. The accelerator is all. I, I get excited when I see the accelerator in a bathroom. I get, I get so pumped. Um, this thing blows like a jet engine, right? Um, in fact, if you don't know this, if you cup your hands a certain way, it makes a really funny noise, right? I won't say what that is, but just take my word for it. Um, but the accelerator is awesome. Like, it will literally, it might even blow off a fingernail, all right? It's that powerful, and it's amazing. And then someone decided, we can't even improve that. Let's improve that. And so they decided to invent the Dyson Airblade. Now, the Dyson Airblade is a whole nother level, okay? Because all you do is just stick your hands flat into the Dyson Airblade, and it, like, squeegee air dries your hands. It's the coolest feeling. I'll just sit there and play and be like, this is fun. I'm going to do this for the next five minutes. And um, so the Dyson Airblade is a whole nother level. And so we live in a country, listen, it's a, it's a weird example. We live in a, in a country where we can see a problem, a very simple, small problem, and afford to do something about it. You don't go into Rwanda and see a Dyson Airblade in a restroom for the most part. You don't see it. 
and they have other priorities, okay? But we live in a country where you can, you can improve lots of little things because we have the money to do it, and someone's going to research and develop it, and someone's going to sell it to restaurants, and they're going to buy it because it's more efficient. And this is just the American way. We can afford to do lots of little things better and less expensive, or you pay the extra cost and you get something better as a result of it. And this is just the world that we live in, in typical suburban America. In some countries, you dry your hands by going like this, just really fast when you leave the bathroom, okay? If there is a bathroom. And so we can afford lots of little things like this. We have so many little luxuries, I think we just forget how the rest of the world often lives. And so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, in verse 31, 30, he says, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus is saying that when you and I chase after materialism and these kinds of things, we look just like the world. This is what the world, how they operate, and we look just like them. So I think it's true of many of us, and and I think um, this mindset can start in junior high or in high school where we're just chasing things, you know, like you got to do good in school. Why? So you can get a really good job and then and, and eventually and, and, and get really good scholarship offers and get into a really good school. Why? So you can be successful and make something of yourself and, and earn lots of money. And why is that? Because so I can be secure and provide for your family. And those are good things and those are some godly things. But we often get caught up in this cycle and we just end up wasting our lives because of our priorities. And when you and I do this, Jesus becomes some ornament or religious sideshow and makes no real difference in your life in the here and now. We waste our lives when we live this way. John Piper says, the credibility of Christ hangs on how we use our money. It hangs on how we use our money. His credibility is at stake when it comes to how you and I use time, money, possessions, Um, I've heard it said money can be defined this way. I think it's a good definition. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. So money is not, it's not that we're all just in love with little green bits of paper. It's that what money can do for us. This is the draw that we have with money. Um, I've also... Um, heard it said this way, there are three ways to view money, and the three are this. There's the thief view, which is what's yours is mine, and I'll take it. The selfish view, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. There's the Christian view, which is what's mine is a gift from God, and I'll share it. And so we asked earlier what you waste time on. Well, what do you waste money on? Because they're kind of the same thing. Like, what do you waste your money on? And... um, and listen, the, the part that you might start rolling your eyes at, um, I understand that, that when you hear a talk like this, you, you think to yourself, well, what are you saying? We can't ever enjoy anything? We can't ever just sit back and relax and just be entertained? Or we just can't, are we always, do we, do we always have to be on all the time? We can't just enjoy something? You, you can't just eat a Twinkie and just enjoy it for what it is? Like, you can't do that? You should have given that money to the poor, Right? I mean, 
I'm not saying that you can't enjoy things. I just think that we go the other extreme and we never evaluate anything. We never look at ourselves and evaluate anything because we think, well, I don't be legalistic. Um, But that's not the answer either. That's not the answer either. I think most of us, if we're honest, we, we use money for two things, to make ourselves feel comfortable and also to feed our habits. And that's how we see money. It's just a ticket to making ourselves more at ease in this world. John Piper also says, if we want to bring others to Christ, our lives must look as if God, not possessions, is our joy. So um, I know that we, we threw these ideas out here earlier. You guys mentioned a lot of, you know, like TV, uh, Netflix. You said phones. You said most of it was technology related. You notice that? Um, I didn't hear anybody say, like, greatest time waster for me is books. No one said that. Because <laughs> everyone's like, that doesn't count. You know, so someone did say, I just didn't hear him, I guess. But, because um, like that, but, but, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is, most of us said technology is, is, the, is the biggest temptation, the biggest struggle. And uh, so again, I'm not saying you can't have fun. You can't have, like, outlets. You can't have these kinds of things. But I want to challenge you today because... I want to ask you the question, how can you redeem those things? So if you're really into, this is an example, if you're really into gaming, all right, um, I'm not coming at you saying, like, it's all bad, just cut it out and go read your Bible. I mean, you should read your Bible, but I'm just saying that, um, that how can you redeem things like this? So maybe you're really good at gaming. Maybe you start to build relationships with people that are in the same world, and you start using that as a platform for relationship and, and bringing people to the gospel and bringing them to Christ. Or you start talking to them about, hey, you know what? Isn't it weird how we're so caught up in these, like, myths and legends and games? And, um, you know, I got a story I want to tell you. It's kind of, it's pretty cool and pretty groundbreaking. And, uh, and so showing people how this desire that they have for even gaming and adventure is really a desire, I think, for God and, and something even bigger with God. And so how can you redeem the things that, that God has gifted you in or has um, what right now is a time waster? Maybe you can bridge into relationships with that and, and point people to Christ in whatever realm you are an expert in. And so I'm not saying you can't have fun, or you being legalistic about all this, but... Um, I just think it's very infrequent, but when it comes to, like, TV or movies, most of us, we just usually evaluate based on content. You know, I I didn't watch anything bad this week or this month, and we base it on content. But, yeah, you spent, like, 20 hours last week watching Netflix, right? So we don't ever evaluate based on time. We do it often based on content. So, yeah, if, if the time is an issue, then it's an issue. It's something to evaluate. So I mentioned gaming a while ago. I, I just read some stats recently. Uh, you know the average male player for gaming is, guess how old? 35. 35. I think Casey, he knew that somehow. I don't know how he knew that. <laughs> he read it somewhere. Um, average female player, guess how old she is? 44. Average. You were like, Grandma? I had no idea. Because average means 
that half the people are like older than that and half are younger than that. Do you know one-fourth of gamers are 50 and older? 50 and older, one-fourth. Uh, listen, out of all the gamers, many think that only men play, but 41% are female. And all the girls are like, yeah, I'm guilty, guilty. All right? So worldwide, the gaming industry is $99 billion and increases every year. Can you wrap your mind around that? $99 billion, right? It's crazy. So listen, we're, we're not saying, again, that you can't have fun, that you can't enjoy things. Um, but I'm just asking, like, how can you redeem these things? How can you look at the other side of it and say, God, what are the ways in which I am wasting time, valuable time, wasting valuable money that you've given to me to be a steward of? And how can you redeem those things? to use them for God's glory, or to cut out some of what you're doing already and figure out how to get more in line with God's kingdom and God's work as you think through that part of your life. Um, there is, I've heard some preachers say this, that there is a need, when it comes to the Christian faith, there needs to be a wartime mentality with how we think about the Christian faith. That might sound extreme, but when you think back on previous wars, especially like World War II era in our world, that our country shifted dramatically when it came to, like, wartime and how things had to operate. So just in my own family, I had a grandfather who got drafted in World War II. He had to go fight in the Philippines in World War II. His family got um, separated because he was just gotten married, and he had to go to the Philippines to fight um, in World War II, right? My other grandfather, on the other side of the family, um, they went to a church that was considered pacifist. They didn't believe in war. So even though he didn't go fight in a war, guess what he had to go do? The government made him and my grandmother move to Connecticut for a few years and work in the psych ward of a hospital. Right? It's like, hey, you don't believe you, you can't fight for a So we're going to send you over here and do this then. Right? So just look, in my family, two generations ago, our country had to sacrifice in incredible ways because of war, right? And so when you think about when it comes to our faith, all we're saying is that you, we, we, we've got to adopt more of a, a wartime mentality when it comes to your time, your money, your possessions, where you understand that you want to sacrifice for the greater cause, right? And, and we don't hold on to things and, and, and act selfishly or just provide for our habits and our comforts and our pleasures. We want to provide for the cause. And so we have more of a wartime mentality when it comes to the Christian faith. There's a guy named Neil Postman. He said this. He says, America is the world's first culture in jeopardy of amusing itself to death. And I think he's right. I think we live in the most entertainment-saturated world in history. And here's the crazy thing. We're still bored. We're still bored. I, I can't tell you how often I'll, I'll hear, how was uh, uh, summer break or Christmas? It was boring. You had like the world at your fingertips, and you're still bored. You're still bored. And I think you're still bored because you've forgotten what you're created for. You've forgotten what you're created for. And so when others look at your life, what are they going to say that is the source of your joy, the source of your passion, the source of your joy?
can they really look at your life and say, yes, God's love is better than life for that person? Go ahead and discuss your last few questions at your tables.